welcome to Say That, the podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago, and joining us here is co-host Glenn Fitzgerald. Well, yes. Also joining us, Jed Brewer. Well, perhaps. With us all the way from Rock Ridge, Tennessee, Lee Younger. Hello. I'm back. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Triumphant return. And back again. I, uh, you know, with all the time travel in the previous episode, I got a little lost where we are on the on the timeline. <laughs> and no one noticed to the point that they pointed out to me that when I did that drop in, uh, that was the TARDIS sound effect behind it the whole time. But I oh. hope that somebody caught that and enjoyed it. Mm. And if they don't, one of the keys to, you know, a happy and developed emotional life is you can't be above standing in front of everyone and saying, I want you to notice this. Because, you know, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's just how you do that. My geode must be acknowledged. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Martin. That is absolutely yeah. true. Well, we got a great show. We've got a number of awesome questions. But first, there's something of an emergency to be mentioned. Really? Oh, an emergency? So there's, there's a thing that happened, and then there's an implication in a very existential way, and then there's an oppor- opportunity to exploit and mock. And I think all those things are kind of right up our alley. Definitely. So as, as we record here uh, in the recent week, there was a, a thing in Washington, D.C. called CPAC which stands for, I don't know at all, but I assume one of the C's stands for conservative, and I don't know what any of the other stands for. Maybe there's a pizza in there. Who can say? Sure. It's a pizza, pizza action committee. Oh, well. I'm... I was betting on athletics for the A. Oh. oh. Conservative Pizza Athletics Commission, I think is what CPAC yep. stands for. We figured it out. Probably. Um, so they there's a gentleman they all like whose name I can't recall. He used to have a job of some renown. Um, and they, they decided that the thing they would do for him at this thing that's very conservative, very faith and family, you know, that kind of, you know, very Christian, was making a, a literal golden idol of the guy they like. <laughs> that sounds uh, totally acceptable. <laughs> and wheel it around. And so there's that, and that's funny, and that's a little disturbing. But beyond that, I'm concerned that some point in the last five years, we as a society may have killed irony. Yeah. Mm. Like, it's kind of in one of those kind of futuristic novella things, like, we all woke up and irony didn't exist anymore. (laughs) So in an attempt to both uh, maybe gently make fun of some Christians, maybe make a little money for ourselves with this service, and hopefully push it far enough that we revive irony. In a Tinkerbell-style situation where if enough people notice it and clap hard enough, then it will become a thing again. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering... I like that idea. How, how far could you push something to a group of Christians that was as wildly anti-biblical as yeah. a golden idol <laughs> of the dude you want to be in charge Yeah, before they actually noticed? I mean, let, let's also, as we're diving into this, let's just get our minds around this idea. Cause I, you know, I don't know about you other fellows, but I have actually, you know, voted for people that I wanted to be in political office. Sounds or, very divisive uh, to me, Glenn. I don't care for it, but I've never voted for anyone or even known any former politician that I said, I shall now carve a golden likeness of his being. <laughs> <laughs> that's um that, that that's you know it's just pointing to some other things you might want to work out. Yeah. So here's a question. If 
it bears the image of the guy and you engraved it. Uh, mm. I don't mm. know. I, here's a question I have yeah. for Jed, and I just want to know if you think this would work, if the Christians would notice. Hit me. If the organist on the turnaround between hymn choruses was to throw in a hook from a Black Sabbath song. (laughs) I mean, I would certainly enjoy it. I I think that, you know, you could, you could try it and I'm going to open it up. I'm going to include both Sabbath and I'm also going to include, um, uh, uh, Ozzy solo catalog as well. You know, well, that's the most controversial thing that's been said here tonight. Look, I don't care what anybody thinks. Ozzy's solo catalog is as good as anything Sabbath did, and I will die on that hill. I, I'll go with you on that. I'll go with you on that. But <laughs> Diary of a Madman, come on. Come on, man. So I'm talking. 80% it, of our listening audience doesn't know who any of these people are. Just gonna point that out. <laughs> if you give me a medley that starts with, I'm going to say Crazy Train, transitions yep. into Mr. Crowley, and then maybe mm. winds up with after forever. That to me, that's good organ trolling. Wow, yeah. dude! Sure, just as people just, are filing in, just kind of playing that in a very gentle, melodic way. Yeah. Well, I, I like, like the idea of you. You're. I mean, I, I'm. I'm. I wish I could live in Jed's head for just a minute because I. I, I just feel like I've known him long enough to know that he's actually thinking about what it it as well would sound like with a crazy train turnaround. <laughs> yes. Yes, I am. <laughs> well, I, I think if I may, it is well, I, 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 I mean, yeah. that, that would liven up Sunday morning. No question. Yeah. Well, now here's another thing that's real. Um, in, in some churches, I don't know if, if you have seen this in the churches where you are, maybe more of an old school thing, but one of the things some churches would do is up, you had like the pulpit that's up front, but there'd be like a whole area behind the pulpit where they would have like chairs right? for like the pastor would sit and maybe like yeah. a couple of deacons or a choir leader. And these chairs would always be real fancy. Right, 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 right. Like sort of a, you know, like well, they'd be fancy in a in in a gaudy sense, you know, sort of a, a you know, a, a, you know, a French TVN looking, a, you know, kind of yeah, uh, rococo, you know, if you will, it, totally rococo, and and you know whatever. And I would get invited to speak in churches, and they'd want me to sit up there, and I'd say, ah, how about no. And then they said, no, you know, that's, this is what people that they, you know, we want you to feel like you're in on it. I'm like, I don't need to feel in on it. It's okay. <laughs> and they, but they'll, they'll, they get me to do it. So I always do the exact same thing whenever they ask me to do that. And this has been maybe a dozen times in my career. I always ask, is this the seat of honor? And then they say, well, yeah. And then I say, the Bible actually says, do not take the seat of honor. So, no, I win. You've been Bibled. Good day, sir. I said good day. You get nothing. That's right. So, you know, you yeah, you you can uh, you can, you can actually get them to to go in on stuff that's totally against the Bible. Well, Glenn, I think you're pointing us to the right geographical area of the church because I I have an idea and I think there's a real okay. money-making opportunity here. So, 
Technically, yes, Jesus was on record as being opposed to mixing worship and commercial interests. All right. Yeah, I I get that. But you know what? It's a new age. And I'm talking, is there any more prime advertising real estate than the area behind pastor on a Sunday morning? We can monetize this piece, baby. This sermon brought to you by Ben and Jerry's. This doxology, Mm. this bud's for you. I mean, we've got so many options. And isn't that, in a a sense, Jesus was against it, but in another sense, isn't that what he would want us to do? Are there coupons for, like, Ben and Jerry's coupons? I think you got to have the coupons on the back of the, um, what's the thing that they'll print out they give you every week? The bulletin, the bulletin, yeah, the back the of the bulletin, man. You you got a, a tear off coupon on there. Wait a second. You put some. You come up front. You put something in the plate. We get you a coupon. That's how we work. Oh, okay. there you know it is. is. There we're it making is. money, dude. Yeah. What are we going to do with all the cash? Well, it's like we're we're changing money from one form to another. We're you know we're <laughs> yeah, we're money absolutely. changing. Yeah. Well, yeah. You give us your money, and we give you Ben and Jerry's coupons. I think there's also an opportunity for uh, kind of in a more modern way, kind of, you know, at some point in during the sermon, we'll flash up on the screen, your promo code. (laughs) So come to the Easter service, (laughs) benandjerrys.com slash he is risen for 15% off your pints. But it changes every week. So you got to keep coming. Yeah. 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 I think as, as Glenn pointed out with, you know, just kind of trying to, to trick them things you could slide in there. I think, Youth ministry would be a very good uh, area for this. And obviously you're not trying to slide anything past the kids because they're kids. They don't know, but you know, you're looking at the leaders and stuff. So maybe like a kind of game where, you know, you're doing Bible trivia, but you rename it, test the Lord, thy God. Oh, oh, that's good. And who can do that best? Maybe like the scavenger hunt thing. And instead of Easter eggs, we hid 30 pieces of silver kind of throughout the, the lawn and you got to gather oh, them all good. and that's good. Bring yes. them back. You know, just things to keep the kids <laughs> yeah. busy. Well, one of the things I was thinking, Matt, is that, you know, it's like if you have somebody in your church, I mean, you know, I, I know that, that the, you know, that the book of James is on record with saying, don't treat rich people differently in your church than you would treat poor people. Mm. I know that's mm. in there, but like, one of the things that occurs to me is if a, a more wealthy person in your congregation was going to get baptized, you could kind of offer them the uh, the super-duper version of the baptism where they slide an extra donation to the church, and you tell them, we'll fill that baptismal with whatever you want. Oh, a bath know. bomb situation? Oh, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Mm. And mm. so that's this is, a, this is a way to kind of, you know, just, just make sure that the—, that the uh, that those on the upper crust are really kind of taken care of, even in uh, something yeah. like the rite of baptism. Maybe a, a weekend where you ex- invite everyone to wear their finest jewelry, as some <laughs> right. kind of testimony. <laughs> just see how many people bite on it. Well, you, you probably are going to want a VIP section. Just you know, keep out the riffraff. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. This is where I remind everyone that that's a real story we did yeah. about uh, Hillsong. <laughs> Having an actual VIP section. Very important parishioners. Also a a terrifyingly horrible part of church history going all the way back. Yeah. 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 Oh, well, and it feels like we land here every fifth show, but are we just pitching bringing back indulgences in some form? Yes, we are. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. What's, What's so bad about that? 
I mean, it worked for a long time before that one German yeah. guy got a real bug about it. So yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, let's let's face it. Uh, you know, white American Christians have thrown a whole lot out. Uh, so <laughs> if we got ourselves a free for all going, we might as well bring back a, a solid money maker like that. Absolutely, it's proven. I think that's a you good know, one. Yeah. You know, it, it brings me back to where uh, Lee started us off with the, the engraving of the image and all. And I have a theory that I think we could, I don't actually believe, but I think we could sell people on, which is in our, the social media, low attention span world. Has it rotted enough people's brains that they can only remember one amendment and one commandment at a time? Okay. Okay. You could bring in like your oxen, sure, and just right. you know say say something nice about your neighbor's oxen today. That's what we're doing. Is kind of our <laughs> icebreaker. Right. <laughs> How much you'd like to have an oxen like that? <laughs> yeah, I, I think you know this. Is what I'm saying is, you know, um, why isn't anybody making any golden statues of me? <laughs> that, that was my first thought when I saw that. Like, man. All we need, I have looked it up, what does it cost to make a statue of a person? And according mm. to Google, which has never been wrong about anything, the sure. average price range is between $4,000 and $10,000. People, I don't want to live in a world where we don't have a life-size Glenn statue. It is yeah. time to reach deep into those pocketbooks and make this happen. Could there technically be better uses for that money? I don't know. I'm not an mm. accountant, but what I do know right. is... Wouldn't it be amazing to have a lifestyle Glenn statue reach for that Visa card? Now, uh, hold on, now, Jed. We could go life size, or, or we could go <laughs> twenty foot tall and just sort of looming over everybody. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, do we? Does it come with a fiery furnace for people who want to be chucked in there? Yeah. <laughs> I, I think you open up the, the international bidding and, you know, you, you might uh, find people who uh, will enter a more competitive price. You know, I, I think that's worth doing. It certainly may well be. Well, um, you know, I think we've got a lot of great ideas there. I think if anyone out there is particularly uh, talented in metallurgy or fundraising, um, I think, you know, and if you're a person who's in charge of the church, you know, I think people are catching on to the building fund uh, shtick these uh, many years in. Uh, try a statue fund. See what happens. People seem to like them. You might get might raise some cash. And on that note, we will declare emergency off. Uh, you know, and if you want to be part of the funding, a Glenn statue, um, you know, you can sign up for Bridgebox right now. That money goes to uh, fund our deacons division. But there's only so many deacons we can hire. So maybe if we have a little left over. Statue fund. Oh, yeah. And uh, how much that is depends on how high we can build the statue. We hope you'll uh, you'll give until the point that we have to uh, clear this with the FAA for clearance <laughs> reasons. MissionYosei.com slash Bridgebox. We are here in the month of March. It is actually March. That's a horrifying and almost unbelievable thought where our topic is how do I actually rely on God? Songs, sermons, Bible studies, lots of good stuff on that. You can also continue to join us every Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. Central Time at Facebook.com slash Chicago for The Bridge Live. We hope 
they that you will join us for that. We were having a lot of fun. If you can't catch it live, you can find every episode archived on that same Facebook page. We're going to jump to our first question here. If you hang out with us all the way to the end, I'll use some ways to touch this, or you can scroll down into the bottom of your episode description and find your links there. Our first question came in anonymously and says, can you define what the purpose of marriage is? I know theologically it's to be a reflection of God's love for the church, but what should it look like practically? Should I, we be serving in a church in the same area? Is child rearing essential? Thank you so much for your help. And thank you so much for your question. It is a great one. It is, uh, we talk in, we talk about marriage a lot on the show. We talk about relationship stuff a lot, but, uh, kind of the direct definition, I think is a very cool angle to look at this through. And Glenn, where would we start off? Well, it is a good question. Um, and I think we can start by saying the, the idea of the reason why we get married is so that we can work together to do more than we could do separately. You, become more uh, than the sum of your parts. You you bring out good things, good qualities, abilities in each other. If you do it right, you begin to serve one another, and that allows that mm. other person, it activates that other person to tap into elements of their character and um, their, their, their spiritual life, their spiritual gifts that they didn't know were there, perhaps even, and to develop and to grow and, and to be a better version of themselves. So that's the idea behind marriage. Um, you might say, well, gee whiz, I don't know if a lot of them work out that way. And you, you may be right. And I don't know what to tell you about that, but if you're looking for a godly way to do it uh, in, in a practical definition of it, that's what, it, that's what we're looking to do. But I think on a, you know, what I'm really describing there is you and your spouse then form a team. Mm-hmm. And um, here's what I want to tell you about teams. The the most important thing about a ministry when thinking about ministry is that it's essentially basically never done as an individual activity. Everybody pulls together in order to get the thing done. So it's important to think of all ministry being essentially all ministry being done in teams and that the marriage then simply becomes a team. It becomes a way to get that done. Uh, And so everything that you know about teamwork and about uh, listening to other people, encouraging other people, uh, working cooperatively, all of those things then come into play to both, form a better quality marriage, but also then allow it to serve the rest of the world, uh, to be to be a ministry to other people. And it's a beautiful thing that you, by taking care of each other, you are also helping others. So it doesn't become a selfish thing. It becomes a way to, uh, you know, have a voice in the world uh, so that if you can accomplish that as a marriage, you're doing a heck of a lot. Final thing on this is you asked about, you know, should we be serving in the same areas? If you understand the nature of a team, no two people does the same thing. You know, you, you might swap out roles with each other, but that's still you're doing one thing, they're doing the other thing. So um, it's important to recognize you cannot fulfill your calling uh, to God by the numbers, uh, by sort of those kind of regimented rules and regulations and do it do it according to to 
what seems right. Uh, it's it's important to to form that team and let God lead you out and equip each other to get that stuff done. It's a great great place to start it off. And Lee, where do we go from there? Um, I, I love everything that Glenn said on that, and 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 I would say that um, just as kind of a just as kind of a here here on that, like uh, you know, some of the greatest and most rewarding moments. Are, are moments when um, the Lord is is using uh, using me and my wife together in a thing, and we are building each other up. We're encouraging each other. We realized the other day um, <clears throat> we we uh, we teamed up together to sing some songs at uh, at the funeral of a of a very dear family member of ours who who uh, went to be with the Lord, and and we we happened to see another. A group of extended family members and realized that 20 years ago, she and I sang at their wedding. And, we, you know, when I first met my wife and fell for her, I didn't know the Lord was going to do that with us. I didn't know he was going to use us at critical moments in people's lives to bring music into the moments. These are things that we didn't plan. We didn't see coming. He had he had these amazing plans for us to to do these things together and build this life together. I, I, I you know that that teamwork uh, when two people are are married and that can be a part of a ministry team together. There's nothing like that, and those have been some of the most rich and rewarding moments of my life. I, I think you know when you look at the purpose of marriage, it is about teamwork and it's about romance and it's about friendship and it's about love. It's about not being alone. That I don't have to go through my life by myself, and I have somebody in my life who always has my back. Uh, one of my favorite things about my relationship with my wife is that if anybody uh, slights me or hurts me or anything like that, they go on a list with my wife and they, and you do not want to be on that list. And they are now on that list and God save their soul. <laughs> you, that's not where you want to be because there is a very amazing person who always has my back. And we have learned over the years what it means to serve each other, what it means to, and that's, that's your goal, to, to serve someone and to walk beside them and to be there for them, to spoil each other with encouragement and pleasure and fun and friendship. All of those things wrap up into this teamwork that Glenn is talking about. And the, and the really beautiful thing is when you find the unique fingerprint of your friendship and teamwork. Um, and, and I want to speak to this unique part of this because no two marriages are going to look exactly the same. It's a very, it, it is possible to give a definition for what a marriage is supposed to be, but we can't give an exacting thing of like, and this is what every married couple's life is supposed to be like if you live it perfectly to God's design. We can't do that because God is infinitely creative. And when he puts two people together and starts to work in their lives, that becomes a completely unique and creative thing. And there's an important point in this because there was a piece in your question where you talked about not only the question that, that Glenn addressed, which was, do you serve the Lord in the same places? Sometimes it's a yes, sometimes it's a no, but you also talked about children. And that is a unique thing. Um, you know, a, a couple gets to figure out the the vibe and the and the direction of their life together. What does their marriage look like? What do their um what what is 
what does their life look like? It's a unique and totally different thing. You can't just, as a blanket statement, say, the purpose of marriage is this and this and this, and everybody that does this has to do this this way. Um, everybody has a unique way of living that out. It's no different with when it comes to kids. Some people, um, you know, they, they have a life and a, and a ministry life and a work where they don't, uh, they don't have children. Some people have uh, a bunch of kids. Some people have a couple of kids. Some people adopt kids. Some people foster kids. There's just a million different ways to do that. And the Lord leads you in the unique expression of what your teamwork and your friendship and your life and your gifts and all of that stuff. There's really just kind of an infinite, uh, an inf- infinite ways to live this out. And the key is, is that you take care of each other, you serve one another, and you find what that unique uh, path or that unique plan that the Lord has for you. It's not going to look like anybody else's. And that's not a bad thing. That is a beautiful thing. That's an awesome thing. That's where we have, we, you know, we often talked about on this show that when we look at the tactics of the devil, they're boring. They're always about the same three tricks. He does them on everybody. And the sooner you learn them, the better. With the Lord, he is infinitely creative. He's always doing something different. Glenn and Jane's marriage does not look like Matt and Jenna's marriage, does not look like Jed and Hallie's marriage, does not look like me and Christy's marriage. There's some beautiful things that are similar between all of those things, but there is an, there's so much variegated difference and uniqueness that, that just shows off the coolness of the Lord's heart. And it shows off the coolness of his, his creative energy and, his, and, and all of the cool plans that he has to reach and love and care about and, and meet the needs of as many people as possible. Um, so that's what we're looking for, is what is, as we learn to serve each other, as we learn to be friends and have each other's back and, and, and work together as a team, what is the unique vibe of our life together? Very, very beautifully put. And Jed, where will we close this discussion out? Well, you've already heard a bunch of great stuff. I want to add one thing, but we're going to start by talking about music for a second. So if you listen to the show, you know that I do a lot of music and I'm super, super blessed to get to serve people with and and through music. But that's not where I started with music. I started by enjoying it. I just thought it was awesome. I heard it and it moved me. And I was like, this is really cool. Mm. And then I built from there. And I want to encourage you to start with enjoyment. I want to encourage you to start with, this is, whoa, this is awesome. That's, that's the place to start. And actually, that's the place to keep coming back to. Um, if you've ever listened to a recording and you're like, this just feels kind of lame, like this doesn't feel like a very good song, I will bet you cash money that at least some of the people involved in that track did not enjoy the track that they were working on. In fact, there's a guy who's kind of famous in the music world um, who, he does a thing called mixing, but it's basically, it, it, he puts everything together at the end. and like. All the biggest hits the last 30, 40 years and like a ton of songs that you would definitely know, this guy mixed all of them. And he was giving an interview and they, they said, well, how do you, you're amazing and you're so successful. How do you, how do you do what you do? And critically, how do you know when, when a song is done and it's ready for other people to hear it? He said, oh, well, when I listen back to it and I enjoy it, that's when it's done. That's, that's my secret. And I think what's true in music should be true in your marriage. You should enjoy this, man. Um, you, you should start with the idea of, I found someone I love that I want to share life with and grow old with. Uh, that's good. That's a beautiful thing. That's like awesome. And and you should keep coming back to that because if we, you know, with just like with music, if we lose that enjoyment, we we've really lost something important. And 
you don't need to take my word for it. Um, you can look up uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 9. I'm going to be reading a little bit out of verses kind of 7 through 10, but it, it says, Go and enjoy your food. Be joyful as you drink your wine. God has already approved what you do. Always wear white clothes to show you are happy. Anoint your head with olive oil. You love your wife, so enjoy life with her. I think that that, by the way, this was written by purportedly the wisest guy who ever lived. I think that it's really, really worth meditating on what would it be like to marry someone that I love and just enjoy sharing life with them? Amen. We absolutely, positively want your marriage to be a platform through which God is served and other people are helped. But one of the bedrocks that's going to make that possible is you guys just enjoying life together. You guys enjoying being married to each other. Dude, having someone that you love and that you get to share your life with, that you get to grow old with, that's an awesome thing. That's a beautiful thing. Enjoy it. Learn mm. how to enjoy it. Learn how to keep on enjoying it. Learn how to enjoy it in the season you're in today and the season that you will be in tomorrow. The more that you enjoy it, the more that that's going to spill over into being able to bless and help other people. So to that, all of that serving and enjoyment becomes a cycle that reinforces. All really, really wonderfully put. A lot of great stuff from these guys who have a lot of years in marriage, a lot of years talking to other people about marriage, and I will uh, candidly say from the outside, uh, three people have the kind of marriage you want if you want to have a good marriage. Um, I will take a moment to to uh, speak to the not married, uh, because it's an important uh, aspect of you know people, and I didn't get married until my mid-30s, so... Congratulations, single Christians. I lived your nightmare. I turned 30 <laughs> while being totally single. I didn't die. You won't either. It's fine. But here, here's, here's the thing about that. As all these guys are pointing out, uh, there's a lot of amazing, uh, beautiful stuff that comes with the marriage. I think a lot of the bad advice that Christians give about marriage comes from trying to really boil it down to pure utilitarianism and not having any uh, beauty or joy or mystery in it, which... You know, the, you've probably heard uh, Proverbs 18.22 says, He who finds a wife finds, that, finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. You can't boil that down to you have two incomes or, you know, you, you are more effective at, you know, doing this uh, outreach ministry. Those are great things, but that's not the whole of finding what is good and receiving favor from the Lord. Here's the other thing about that, though, is that is not, marriage is not the only way you find what is good or receive favor from the Lord. Right. All these things we're talking about, having community that backs you up, having uh, team members, having purpose, having uh, a lot of fun in your life and being able to share your life with people, none of that only happens through marriage. Now, if you have a marriage, that is the primary way that happens in your life, and it's a wonderful, beautiful thing. But you don't have to be married to have those things in your life. You don't have to wait to be married to have those things in your life. So if that's the situation you are, the, the season of life you are, then definitely don't hear us saying that all these things we're talking about that married people get are not things for you, but if you are looking to be married, these are the kind of things you should definitely want to get out of it. We move on to our next question here. Comes in and says, basically, my cousin is having a hard time and asked to come over a lot, so I let her in sometimes to hang out in my building. Apparently, one of these times when we thought she was leaving, she really let some guy in, and they went down to the basement of the building to hang out and drink and stuff. I had no clue this happened until the landlady called me and seemed to think that I was in on it. The way she talked made me think she, we might be kicked out, or at least not have our lease renewed. I'm really not sure what to do. I've apologized over and over to my landlady, and agreed to pay for any damages. We live in a studio, and I'm not sure if we can afford many other places. This is only the second apartment I've ever had. 
Anyway, the situation has really brought up my anxiety and depression, for which I'm on medication. I've been crying and freaking out all day. I'm so lost. Any advice is appreciated. And not the, the most normal kind of question we get. We, we don't normally get the questions in, in the midst of these things. And as a, as a shout, as just a note, if you've never written in before, um, if you email us, uh, I will return your email as quickly as possible. And if you write into the Tumblr, I will, and honestly, I'll try to get a blog post up on things like this. So you don't have to wait until the next show comes out to get an answer. So that, that's if it's this kind of question, that's great. We love to talk to you and we'll put it on the show later. But I did definitely want to get to it because I think there's a lot of good stuff going on in this question for us to talk about in the sense of, of setting boundaries, of dealing with kind of uh, overwhelming situations for the first time. As if you're a younger person who's experiencing something new and how we can uh, manage all that, which I think is very, very important stuff to talk about. And Lee, what in this question jumps out to you as a starting point? Um, well, first of all, I you know I'm I'm so thankful for the the way that Matt runs the show, and that I know you've already heard back from him, and um, and we're sorry for what you're going through. Um, that's that that is a sucky situation, and um, but but I'm glad we're talking about it on this forum because uh, you know plenty of people have relationships like this in their life. So uh, first, let us start out by saying. I'm sorry that you're in this situation and you are not some kind of freak. Uh, you're not alone on this. We, everybody has people <laughs> like this in our, in, in their lives that, you know, that push the, push the boundaries and drive you crazy and all that kind of stuff. Um, the place that I want to come in on this is, well, for, first of all, Matt already talked about the word boundaries and you are going to have to have a conversation with, with this person. And let me just say, unfortunately, there are going to be some things about this conversation that are going to suck and it's, it's not going to be a blast. It's not going to be the funnest thing you do during the week to have this conversation, but boundaries are neat are going to need to be set and all that kind of stuff. But Matt said, when he set this up, he said, what's the thing that jumps out to you when, when he asked me? And honestly, I read through your question a bunch of times and there's something very specific that jumped out to me, which is, you care about everybody's feelings in the situation. You, you have an eye on how, on the way every single person is feeling. I don't know you. We've never met. But, but I want to call something out in you that is special, which is you have compassion. You have empathy. You feel things for other people. You have the ability to see things from the perspective of other people and you may think that that, oh, well, that's normal. That's just the way every person sees it. It's not. And uh, the other guys on the show would be glad to tell you as well. That's not how everybody rolls. There are plenty of people who never see anything from anybody else's point of view ever at all. Um, the, the thing that you have is a superpower. And one of the things that I love about people like you is that, yes, a, a conversation where you have to set some firm boundaries with somebody, it's going to suck and it's going to be difficult. But people like you who have this kind of empathy and compassion for everybody in the situation, in my experience, you kind of people are the people who are able to do this conversation in a way that you are able to call this person to a higher version of themselves. Your your compassion, your ability to see things from other people's point of view enables you to have the kind of warmth that draws people in. It doesn't have to be this harsh call-out kind of conversation. 
I think your goal in this is, yes, you need to set some boundaries, but I think that you, obviously, again, we're, we're not best friends. We haven't met or anything, but I just see something in the way that you frame this question, which is you are the kind of person who has the ability to call this person to a higher version of themselves, that you have the ability to call them to responsibility and respect. Um, that you can give them a vision for the person that they could become rather than just saying, Hey, you suck. This put me in a bad place. Get it together, man. That you have the ability to approach this through your compassion and through your empathy where this person could walk away from a sucky conversation and go, I do want to be a better person. (laughs) I do want to, I do want to access my uh, responsibility and, uh, and, and respect for my friend. Um, again, I'm not saying that's going to be easy, but I'm saying that, that there's, there's just something I see in the way that you frame this question that you are going to be able to do this well, but you're going to have to do it <laughs> and you're going to have to set some boundaries. And I think that I'll be, we'll be praying for you as you do this, but, um, I think you've got some superpowers that are really going to aid you as you uh, walk into a conflict situation, a conflict conversation that I, I, I sense that you don't want to have, but I think that you're going to be able to do it well. And I encourage you to, to go for it. That's a really, really cool place to start. And I think it's an excellent observation by Lee there. And Jed, I'd love to get you to pick us up here because, and I'd like to appeal to your uh, years of experience for a, a time. Jed was our resident kicker outer of people at the bridge who had, yeah. just had a moment because uh, there's not a, more backstory, but presumably someone who doesn't have anywhere to be during the day. So they ask to come over a lot and ends up using some of that time to uh, drink at a place that is not their own, maybe having some struggles. Yeah. So we've got a couple of things going on here. One is we need to have a conversation with someone who's having some struggles, which is not the easiest way to do those conversations. And also, and this is, uh, applies to that bridge experience as well from, from the, for the landlord perspective, we need to be seen having a conversation and re, re uh, put that narrative to some other people. So for someone who's never approached that kind of, those kind of things before, how do you start with that? Well, that's a good question. I think that you weirdly, and I'm going to have to explain what I mean, but I, I think you're in a best case scenario here and you're in a best case scenario because you're in a worst case scenario. Here's what I mean. <laughs> Um, you, you say that you told the landlady that you would pay for any damages. What damages? In other words, when I first read your question, the thing I had in mind is that your cousin, you know, and, and, you know, maybe a would be boyfriend, were going down to the basement and, you know, having a nice you know, little glass of Cabernet and just, you know, talking about things and whatnot. And, you know, I can still see a landlady not liking that cause they don't live there, but there's damages. How on earth would there be damages? What are you doing in the basement, man? <laughs> okay, so one of the things, here's here's the worst place to be with needing to assert boundaries is I kind of feel like I need to assert boundaries, but they haven't like totally done anything outlandish yet. And so to assert a boundary would almost feel like I was doing it preemptively, which feels kind of unfair and kind of mean. That's tough. That's a really, really tough place to be. That is not where you are. Your cousin lied to you, broke the rules of where you lived, and apparently caused property damage in the process. That's all the way bad. 
we have graduated from maybe there's a problem to there is a definite problem. <laughs> this is good because it gives you a clear way forward. You do for sure need to have a conversation. And because it is as outlandish as it is, your conversation can be really straightforward, which is, hey, sweetie, I love you. Your coming over privileges have been revoked. You absolutely cannot come here anymore. Um, I'm sorry that that's where we're at. You know I love you. I'm happy to meet you at a cafe or we can sit in the car and talk because it's COVID. Um, We can Skype. We can Zoom. We can text. You can't come here. Um, You nearly got me kicked out of my apartment. You uh, were deceptive towards me, um, and you caused damage while you were drinking. I don't even know what you were doing, but again, the key thing is, you know I love you, but your privileges here have been revoked. You can't do that anymore. It's important for your cousin to hear that because that for sure needs to be where we're at, but you also need to be able to tell your landlady that you had that conversation. You know, if you... If you want to look at it from the perspective of the landlady, she has been wrong. Um, she uh, set up a literally a rental agreement and asked people to literally sign it and then uh, abide by it. And it, it wasn't abided by. And that's not your fault. And it, it's really crappy that you've got to deal with something that's not your fault, but where it's, it's landing on you. But it is landing on you. And. One of the key things that goes into a real apology that gets forgotten a lot in our culture is here are the steps I am taking to make sure this will never happen again. That's a huge part of a real apology. And fortunately for you, in this case, you have a clear cut way to do that, which is to say, I'm so sorry that happened. I I didn't know it was happening. My cousin will not be visiting this apartment again in the future. So you don't have to worry about that ever happening again. I'm happy to pay for any damages. I appreciate your understanding. Thank you so much for um, your compassion in this situation. That's pretty straightforward. And in these kind of situations, if you can dig it, and I, I know this is hard. I know it is. But as Matt pointed out, I've, I've actually had to have these kind of, kind of conversations with a lot of people over a lot of years. You do way better to just cut to the chase um, with, with your cousin to simply say, you know, I love you. You know, I care about you. You know, I want to be there for you. You can't come to my apartment anymore. That's over now. Um, that's actually the kindest way to do that. Um, there's, there's an old saying that says you got to be cruel to be kind. This is kind of one of these moments. And similarly with the landlord being able to say, this happened. I'm sorry it happened. It won't happen again. The more straightforward that you can be, the better all of this is going to work. We know it's hard. We're praying for you. Keep your head up. You can absolutely do this. Absolutely. That is all good stuff. And Glenn, what would you add to this? Well, I. I really actually want to go back and and double down on some of these other comments in terms of you being concerned about your question, the way you worded that, the way that you, uh, you know, sort of hit us with all kinds of angles and different kinds of uh, details kind of all over the place and that type of deal. That's actually a really good way to ask a question. Yeah. So I think you've done a great job of asking us a question. So, you know, uh, rock on. Uh, you do you. Uh, second thing I want to say here is, well, you know, I definitely, again, want to back up with these fellows are saying that you're talking about anxiety and depression. I think Lee is right. That's a case of, uh, you know, a God-given gift for empathy and caring about other people's emotions. When that gets into overload, then that turns into anxiety and depression. 
And as Jed is saying, boundaries are the whole thing to that. It sucks to set boundaries. They're never fun. They're never pleasant. But, you know, the thing that people say to me in counseling situations is, well, I, I'm not good with confrontation. I don't like confrontation. My advice on, on that, if that happens to be you, is to recognize actually nobody likes confronta- confrontation, so there's that. Second thing is if you don't like do it, like doing it, do it early. Right. That is going to give you the smallest amount of conf- confrontation, and you'll have to do it the least amount often if you do it that way. It won't be a, a big confrontation. It'll be a much smaller one. So if you don't like confrontation, do it fast, do it early. And as Jed was saying, do it straight to the point. Uh, But uh, what I want to bring out here, too, is uh, I think part of what Jed, I think, is pointing us to is, and I had the exact same read of you're sort of taking responsibility, which is the totally appropriate and right thing. People will take advantage of that sensitive uh, nature that you have. And again, it is a gift, but like every gift, we have to manage the snot out of our gifts Mm. because our gifts become a weakness in a hurry. They become a a problem for us in a hurry. No matter what kind of gifts God gives you, that's always the case. They always have to be managed quite a bit. The last thing I'll say here is, uh, it's having a, a really cool, uh, simulating conversation with John Ross, who you may have seen on our Bridge Live broadcast. And we were talking about psychological principles that need to be brought into the sphere of uh, our walk and how to live a spiritual life. And he used a term I absolutely love called catastrophizing, which I, I just love that word, catastrophizing, t- taking what is a problem and a struggle and turning it into a catastrophe. We're, we're sort of looking at the, the worst possible case scenario, no matter how unlikely that is. Uh, we, it's good for you to be concerned. And I, I again, I agree with what these fellows are saying. God has given you that heart to be concerned and care. Uh, but that can, the devil will, de, the devil knows he can't take that gift away from you. So he's trying to overload it then. Just get you, oh, take, take that concern overloaded into catastrophizing over it. And it seems like, you know, uh, this is uh, a total disaster when at the absolute worst this could be is you get out from underneath an unhealthy situation with an unhealthy landlord. We, you set good boundaries with a cousin that definitely, definitely, definitely needs some boundaries uh, put on that relationship. And you get into an, another apartment that might be a healthier setup and uh, you might be, you know, doing a lot better there. That's the worst case scenario here. Uh, so let's uh, let's try and, and and find a way of setting those boundaries, taking ownership for this stuff, and recognizing that God is going to lead you out of this. It's all excellent stuff from all these guys. One uh, aspect of this I want to make sure we do cover is that, especially when you're young, you mentioned you know, this is only the, the second apartment I, I've lived in, is the, this idea that uh, things, because they are unfamiliar to you, must be complicated, bordering on impossible. And the reality is uh, people f- rent new apartments every day. So it, it, to the point of catastrophizing that Glenn is making there, 
emotionally uh, getting kicked out of a place, getting uh, certainly not getting your lease renewed can feel like like the end of the world and uh, most people you listen to on the show have had some crappy landlords and it's it's no fun and it can really really feel like a thing that's going to fall in on you it is probably not the odds that you live in the number one cheapest apartment in your uh area and there are no other ones that are available to you is pretty low it's not impossible but it's pretty low so one of the things that we can do with all this uh, anxious energy, all this nervous energy that you certainly have. If on the other side of dealing with the relationships with both your cousin and your landlord that do need to be dealt with, and it sounds like as these guys are saying, you're doing a great job with that is we can look at some motion and some resources on things like, is there uh, you could research a tenants rights organization in your area, show them your lease, understand if you can't even can get kicked out for this. What are your options? If you do, what kind of uh, rent hikes could your landlord pull the next time to try to understand these things? You could look at a, go ahead and look at an affordable housing thing to understand your kind of options. And the funny thing about that is when you give that energy somewhere to go, even if it's not something that even ends up happening, even if it's not something you end up needing, it's a whole lot better than just sitting around and freaking out. Yeah. Um, sitting around and freaking out has nowhere to go but driving you more up a wall. If you look at some things, learn some things, that's going to do two things. One, it is going to give that energy somewhere to go. And two is it's going to reinforce this idea that you do have options. You do have some control and some agency in this situation, even if it's not exactly as much as you want. And you're going to find uh, people that have you back, your back. We know God has your back in that. We're going to move on to our final question here. It comes in and says, what do you do when you intend well, but still fall short in your spiritual walk? And it is a very, very good question. And Jed, where do we start off with it? It's a great question. The place that we need to begin is to recognize that culturally, and especially around church stuff, we have a very, very weird relationship with intentions. Um, We've been given the idea that if you're hardcore, then um, you think intentions don't matter. Um, and, um, you have probably heard the old phrase, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And, uh, Matt, uh, we we're doing a, another program recently. And Matt pointed out, you've almost certainly seen a black and white meme with a picture from the guy from Peaky Blinders with some sort of really snarky saying about how only outcomes matter. Intentions are nothing. Um, we need to be clear. Your intentions matter. They super duper matter. And they super duper mean something. And in fact, God sees and respects and appreciates your good intentions. And to demonstrate that, we're going to turn together to the book of 1 Kings, chapter 8. And I'm going to read you some of it, but let me give you the backstory here for a second. So this is God's people, Israel, and it's a king named Solomon, who actually we've already referenced in this episode, um, who built the temple. Um, So it's a very, very big deal. They're actually, they're dedicating the temple. So like all the important people are there and it's a big to do. And Solomon, the king, he's giving a speech and here's what he says. And this is, this is really noteworthy stuff. My father, David had it in his heart to build a temple for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. But the Lord said to my father, David, you did well to have it in your heart to build a temple for my name. Nevertheless, You are not the one to build the temple, but your son, he is the one who will build the temple for my name. The Lord has kept the promise he made. I have succeeded David, my father, and now I sit on the throne of Israel, just as the Lord promised, and I have built the temple 
um, for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. So let's stop there. There's a lot going on here. It's very interesting for God to say to a person, you have a really good intention here. And I really appreciate the fact that you have a really good intention here. It's also not the thing that I have for you to do. Mm. I have another plan. And I wonder how much better our lives would be if, and how much healthier our spiritual walks would be if we were willing to hear God say, you've got a really cool intention here. It's not quite the thing that I'm looking for you to do, yeah, but, man. but I respect the fact that you have this intention. I, I am honored by the fact that you, that you feel this way. I get what you're going for, and I appreciate it. Now can we talk about the thing that I actually have for you? Because I think that most of the time around church stuff, we, we go one of two directions. We either say that intentions don't matter, which is just not true, that, that's just not accurate, or we don't want God to weigh in on our plans and ideas and intentions, and we just want to assume that he'll be in favor of anything that we want to do. What we see um, played out here in 1 Kings chapter 8 is a moment where the holiest thing possible happens. God is invited into someone's plans. God, someone goes to God and says, here's what I'm thinking, here's my idea, here's my intention, here's my plan, and then they're willing to let God speak to that. And to your direct stated question of what do you do when you intend well but you still fall short in your spiritual walk? We want to learn how to invite God into that discussion. It is really cool that you intend well in your spiritual walk. God sees that, and he appreciates it. He is honored by it. We see that. We think it's, it's a really cool thing. Now, we want to invite God into that discussion and begin asking what he thinks is a good idea in your spiritual life. If you're new to all of this, there's three good ways to discern God's leading. There's what you read in the Bible, which is really good stuff. Uh, there's what you get uh, from wise counsel, so from, from Christians who are a little bit older than you, been doing this a little bit longer than you, and then there's listening for the still small voice of the Holy Spirit within you. And ideally, all three of those things would be pointed in the same direction. As we invite God into um, our decision-making and, and start sharing our intentions with him and asking for him to guide us and direct us, I think we're going to see some really, really cool things happen in our spiritual life. But for right now today, we need to take a hold of the fact you don't have anything to be ashamed of, man. God sees your good intentions and he appreciates mm. them even when it's not the thing he wanted to see happen and even when it's not the thing that actually works out. All an excellent, excellent place to start us off there. And Glenn, where do we take this from there? Well, I think I, I don't know if you can address a situation unless you know how to think about it. That is to say, you have to be able to diagnose the nature of the problem. You, you have to put the whole problem in context before you can even diagnose it. You know, what? how do I think about the fact that I wanted to do well and I didn't do it? I think the first thought you should have about that is that it is the most universal human thing that you can do. <laughs> uh, if that's your thought, then you're on the way to solving this situation and dealing with it. If that's not your thought, you have no hope and you're not going to make it. And you should just, uh, you know, call me when you're tired of suffering because that's, that's not, uh, that, that's not a realistic or biblical view of yourself. Uh, my, my Bible says we all fail and we all fall short in many ways. Uh, and so that's, that's the universal thing. 
Um, I, you know, it, it, it may be a thing that should bear a little bit of your time and focus to recognize that actually very few people sit down and develop an elaborate plan to fail at things. Uh, it usually happens despite their intentions. So um, I think we, we start there. Let's also ask this question. Do you have a tendency then to blame yourself or to blame the way that you think about this, the way that you reason your way through it, the way that you, um, you structure your life, your, your, your habits, your lifestyle, your, the way you manage your walk, the way you manage your relationships, the way you handle work stuff. All of that can be boiled down to a strategy of sorts, a plan of sorts. It may, in some cases, just boil down to a certain number of habits that are difficult to change, but it's still a system, so to speak, that you are working. And when things go wrong, you should say, this system needs to change. But that's very different from saying, I suck. Yeah. Those are two very different viewpoints here. Uh, Now, when you get to the point of saying, okay, let me change the system, you'll be hit with, I don't know how to change that. I don't know what to change. I don't know why the system is messed up the way it is. And my system is my system because it feels right to me, even though I'm not getting where I'm going. So there's something about the way that I live my life that feels holy that in fact is not. It feels like I'm in tune with the Spirit when in fact I'm not. So there's a religiosity, perhaps, to mm. something that's going wrong here. There's a, you know, the devil always comes disguised as an angel of light. So we we're looking for a, a, a sort of religious sounding thing here. When you mess up, what you tend to do, if you're like most people, is to blame yourself, to beat up on yourself, and you get that shame going, and that feels holy. It feels holy to say, you are a bad person who did a bad thing. Be holy. That, that sounds like a really, you know, spiritual thing to say. It's not. It's, it's just, it is just abusive. That's all. The fact that you're abusing yourself doesn't stop from being abused. There's nothing holy about that. It's actually a sinful way to behave. It's sinful to judge other people. It's sinful to judge yourself. Uh, it's it's an unacceptable thing. If you watched someone else do that to a third person, you'd say you are you are acting mean. You're acting ugly. Yeah. If, if that person turned to you and said, "No, this is a super holy thing to do. Not stop being such a jerk and behave yourself," you'd say, "No, that's that's not accomplishing anything, and it's not smart, and it's definitely not holy." But we do that to ourselves, and it feels like oh, I'm disciplining myself. And that's what the Bible talks about. And I'm beating up on myself. And the Bible sort of talks about that. And in the end, all you're doing is just adding a bunch of negativity, trying to get a positive outcome. Uh, you know, we could work out where that plan was, was hatched, and it wasn't in heaven. Uh, holiness is about getting up and trying again. You want something that is holy. Holy people get up and try again. You should feel super holy when you have been knocked down off the horse and you're in the dirt and you get up and you get back on that horse and keep riding. That is what holiness is. That's what should feel like I'm really engaged in this and really doing it right. It doesn't come when you're beating up on yourself and you have that negative thing of, 
I keep wanting to do good and I can't pull it off. That just means I'm a bad person. That's a lie. Uh, and it doesn't have anything to do with the truth that God wants you to live in. That's all great, great stuff there. And Lee, where do we close this out? You've already heard a lot of amazing stuff on this. And I love um, just to kind of synthesize a couple of things and, and, and make two final quick points. Um, you know, Jed's um, encouraging us to engage the Lord in this process and Glenn encouraging us to get back up. Um, the, the thing that I would specifically say after those, putting those two things together is when you have good intentions and you fall off and you decide, and exactly as Glenn's saying, it's a holy and a beautiful thing to get back up. Um, the way that we want to engage the Lord on this process is we want to go to the Lord for two specific things. Lord, I need wisdom and I need strength. That's what we want to go to him for. Um, I think Glenn is exactly right that what typically happens, and I know it happened to, to me for most of my uh, growing up years, is if, if I had good intentions about a thing and then I, you know, I wanted to live this day a certain way and I fell off in some way, the only thing I did was I gritted my teeth and I swore that will never happen again. I am so committed to making sure that will never watch, Lord. I will never do that again. And if if the Lord Jesus was to appear to me in physical form and say, "What's your plan?" I would say, "My plan is that will never happen again." <laughs> like that's literally what I would say. I had no idea what that would be. I had no idea why I fell off. I had no idea what the specific triggers were that 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 disrupted those good intentions that, like Jed said, are, are, are good things and that the Lord recognizes. But what if you were to check in with literally the most brilliant person in the history of ever and say, hey, uh, I don't always have the greatest self-awareness. What happened there today? Uh, yeah. And what if he was to say, you know what, buddy? Um, you were doing great until this one thought entered your mind and then you let it take root and populate every other thing that happened today. Um, or what, what, I mean, what would he say? I think we have to do exactly what Jed was saying is we have to invite the Lord into the process, not only of our intentions, but into our failures and to say, what happened there, Lord? If, let me say this, especially to our, our young believers, if if you have never to this date had a conversation with the Lord Jesus after you have fallen on your face where you say to him, hey, what happened there? Can I encourage you to have that conversation as soon as possible? That is a sweet relief because you are leaning into the grace and the patience of Jesus, and you're saying, I know that you still love me. I know that you're patient with me. So can we talk about what happened there? What I'm looking for is some wisdom. I don't know what happened, and I don't know what needs to happen next. So if you could give me some insight on those things, that's what I want to move forward on. That's thing number one. Thing number two is going to the Lord for strength. And so what we need to do is we need to go to the Lord and say, I'm going to need you to provide the strength to do the thing that you are giving me the wisdom and the ideas about. I need, Jesus, I need your explanation of what happened. I need your ideas about what comes next. And I actually need your power to carry out those ideas. If we can engage the Lord in that process and have the courage and the belief 
the belief in his grace and patience just to keep getting back up. And, and also like his kindness that Jeb was talking about in that first response of just like that the Lord applauds intentions. That is such a, that's such a gracious and sweet thing that we need to see the Lord that way and then engage him in the process and asking, why did this happen? What needs to happen next? And also, can you provide all the gasoline for that? Then I think you're going to have a revolution in, in your, yeah, I mean, he's going to change you. It's still going to be slow. It's still going to be messy. We can all attest to that. But the, the revolution that you're really going to experience is your friendship with the Lord is, is, is going to kick into a whole new gear. And that's, and that's really what he's interested in. I mean, yes, he wants to change you and all that kind of stuff. And, but what he wants is that dialogue. And so let's lean into that. Let's lean into getting back up. Let's lean into engaging the Lord on these conversations. But let's specifically ask him for wisdom and strength going forward. That is all excellent stuff from all of these guys. And you can check out a recent episode of The Bridge Live where we uh, covered a very similar subject. I believe that was our uh, February 16th edition or thereabouts. You can find uh, that on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash bridge Chicago. You can join us every Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. for that Bridge Live service. You can also check out BridgeBox at missionusa.com slash bridgebox if you have a question for us you can write that say that podcast at gmail.com or head over to the bridgechicago.tumblr.com slash ask you want to keep that entirely anonymous we're going to take out the song this week you're going to notice that this song in your little podcatcher there it has a clickable link and that's because it's a pool house guru track Uh-oh. and those are on spotify Ooh. now Ooh. that's a whole thing spotify yes, apple sir. music Ooh. uh more and more uh uh services coming i've been assured by our distributor i believe that when i see it but for now we're on spotify we're on apple music we're on itunes we're gonna take out the full house gurus take on deuteronomy 31 6 yes got that thanks for listening just remember we love you god loves you there's nothing you can do about it to say that podcast we refuse to allow anyone to make golden statues of us even though no one asked (laughs) (laughs) do not be terrified do not be terrified do not be terrified don't be afraid of them
Yeah.